Let's ask for God's blessing on his word. Father, we ask that you would open our eyes, that we may behold wondrous things out of your law, that you would speak to us for your servants listen. Grant us, O Lord, the gift of your Holy Spirit to make your word plain and clear to us and to apply it to our hearts in the way that only you can. And now, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts in this place be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our only redeemer. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're looking today at our gospel passage from Matthew. And uh, to understand this passage today, which is admittedly a very difficult word to hear, we have to go back to that verse that I started with, verse 12. And in verse 12 of Matthew 7, we read Jesus extolling the law and extolling the prophets. He's admiring and he's reinforcing the authority of the law. In fact, over the past two chapters, Jesus has been expounding the ethics of the kingdom of God, the morality of his kingdom. It's not a new morality. God didn't change his mind between testaments about how much and how we should love God and how much and how we should love our neighbor. It's not a, a new morality, but the same morality now taught with the greatest clarity by the one who loves God's law the most. <laughs> Jesus Christ loves his Father's law, and he desires that his people would love his Father's law as well. Bonhoeffer is so good on this. Bonhoeffer, in his little book, The Cost of Discipleship, here he asks, does Jesus come between the disciple and the law? Yes, he answers, he does. But if Jesus comes between the disciples and the law, he does not so to release them from the duties it imposes, but to validate his demand that they should fulfill it. Just because they are bound to him, they must obey the law as he does. <laughs> Jesus loves his father's commands. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. These, in the truest sense, are the words and the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is the spirit of Psalm 119. And so you'll notice today in our passage that in verse 12, Jesus extols the law and the prophets. He says, the command that sums up my kingdom the golden rule. It's the same command you've had from the beginning, and you should keep this command because you've had it from the beginning, because it's the law, and it's the prophets, and this is my Father's word to you. It has not changed. Shema Yisrael, hear, O Israel, my Father's word for you. And if you look at the verse that we close with today, at the end of our passage, that terrifying verse, where people are thrust away from God's presence forever and ever, the end of this passage also ends with a strong reference to the law. Depart from me who? You workers of lawlessness. You people who do not love my Father's law, who do not obey my Father's law. And so you see the importance of the law bookends this entire passage. And the emphasis that Jesus places on the law helps us to understand what he has to say about these false prophets. 
And the first thing he has to say in our passage today is this, the church is full of false prophets. Calvin, in in writing on this passage of Scripture, says it's the will of the Lord that the church shall be engaged in uninterrupted war in this world. And when Calvin says this, he doesn't mean those on the outside who persecute the church, the Neros, the Diocletians, the Trajans who come against the church. What Calvin means here by uninterrupted war is though, are those who are in the church, who endeavor, as he says, to corrupt the purity of the faith by false doctrine. And so Jesus gives us this imperative, and it's very, very strong. We are to be alert. We are to be wary. Beware, Jesus says to his people. And it's a very, very strong word. Be on guard. In fact, the Greek word, or the root of the Greek word, prosecho, really has to do with turning your mind towards something. Don't live in blithe ignorance of this. Turn your mind to these things. Be intellectually present to this dangerous reality that leaders will come into the church who will speak on God's behalf, but God has not sent them. It's nothing new, is it? Jesus isn't now predicting some new turn of events in the church. Rather, Jesus is speaking about the church as it has always been. It has always been like this. False shepherds coming into the church, permeating God's church to corrupt God's people. It's the tares and the wheat. And in particular, what Jesus is driving at here at the end of his great Sermon on the Mount is that false shepherds, unlike himself, always work to turn God's people away from God's law, away from obedience. Jeremiah 23, God says this, he says, In the prophets of Samaria I saw an unsavory thing. They prophesied Baal, and they led my people astray. But in the prophets of Jerusalem... I have seen a horrible thing. They commit adultery, and they walk in lies. They strengthen the hands of evildoers so that no one turns away from his evil. They speak visions of their own minds, not from the mouth of the Lord. I have not sent them, declares the Lord, but they are prophesying falsely in my name. You see, the falseness of the prophets always has to do with their obstinate refusal to bring God's people to God's law and to confront God's people with their need to repent of their sins. They say to God's people, peace, peace, when there is no peace, everything's fine. There's nothing for you to worry about. Ezekiel 13, God says to the false prophets, you have encouraged the wicked that he should not turn from his evil way to save his life. You see, the false prophet has low view of God's laws. The false prophet often has no view of God's law and certainly no sense of the dire problem of sin. You can get churches, of course, and leaders that speak about sin and about law in the wrong kind of way and the wrong kind of spirit. It's all caustic and hollow bellowing. 
It's all shouting God's judgments with no reflection of God's love and mercy for sinners. You can get all these things without God's tender mercies. And that's just plainly not the gospel. And there, of course, are churches like that. But there are also churches, and there are many of them, who encourage sinners in their sin by not turning their hearts and their minds to hear those ominous and those weighty passages which remind us of the importance of God's holy and righteous standards. For you may be sure of this, says Paul to the, to the Christians at Ephesus, you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral Everyone who is sexually impure, everyone who is, set, who is covetous has no inheritance in the kingdom of God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. I'm very sure it's pleasant to go to church and hear smooth things. A pastor will tell you some funny jokes He'll relay some real tear-jerking stories to you. He'll deliver a few clever anecdotes, some vague comments about the encouragement of the gospel, and then he'll end with a peaceful and an undisturbing amen. And yet no one leaves the service having seen that the warped part of their old sinful nature is so bad and it's so corrupt that there is no end to its deceitfulness, that there are cracks in our lives that are so deep and so deadly that they need sudden and comprehensive intervention and repair. We had something happen to us this last couple of weeks. I was, I was out three years ago. We did a renovation to our house. We made an extension at the back of our house. We made a vast deck across our house. And we went and we did it as best as we could. And because it was over a, a habitable space, livable space, we put this uh, vinyl decking on the deck that was guaranteed for 15 years. You take care of this, it will last you 30. And so we, we cut the stucco off the house. We put the vinyl up underneath the, uh, under the walls. We redid the stucco. We spent lots and lots of money to waterproof this livable space. And two weeks ago, I was out on my deck watching the sunrise. And as the sun came up and the light began to shine, I looked down on my brand new three-year-old deck and I saw cracks. Three years. And then I walked down the length of the deck and I saw crack after crack after crack after crack. And I just began to be twisted inside, thinking of all the money that would have to be spent to repair this thing because I don't want water in my house. <laughs> and the temptation just to let it go, the temptation just to say, it probably isn't that bad, was so very strong. I don't want to deal with it. I just want to shut it out and leave the cracks over there. The temptation not to reckon with the deadliness of these cracks was huge. You see, there's more to the message. There's more to the gospel than peace. Peace, there's danger. There is cracks in our lives and there's need for wholesale repair. They have to pull off my whole deck. I had masons on my deck pulling off natural stone where we've cut through the stucco, comprehensive repair because the cracks need to be fixed. And there's more to the gospel 
than just some encouraging stories. Paul had a lot of nice things, didn't he? To say to the philosophers at the Areopagus at Mars Hill, he has a lot of nice things to say to them. You're a very religious lot, he says. You've got some fine poets. He says, in fact, I'm gonna quote a couple of them to you. You're to be commended, he says, that you're feeling your way toward God. He's not far from you. In fact, you are his offspring, he says. But then Paul suddenly changes gears. And he points out the deep and the troubling cracks. He says, you're also idolaters. And what God has overlooked, he will overlook no longer. And God commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world by a man that he has appointed. (laughs) You see, the Apostle Paul is a true prophet. He doesn't shrink from declaring the whole counsel of God. He says the wall is cracked and you need to be fixed. In fact, when Paul uses this line to the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, this line of the whole counsel of God, in that context, Paul says this, he says, I'm innocent of your blood. And when Paul uses that phrase, I am innocent of your blood, he's echoing a passage from Ezekiel, Ezekiel chapter 3, where God says to his prophet, where God says to his man, if you give the wicked no warning, or if you do not speak to warn the wicked in his wicked way, his blood will I require at your hand. Paul didn't whitewash walls. He doesn't say peace, peace, where there is no peace. Rather, he gives God's people God's call to holiness, and he gives God's people God's way to holiness. And so he says in Acts 20, I'm innocent of your blood. I taught you in public, and I went from house to house to house, and I declare to you that you must repent towards God, God's call to holiness. And you must put your faith in Jesus Christ. That is God's way to holiness. Brothers and sisters, the church does not exist to become popular with the world. The church does not exist to make the world think well of us. The church does not exist to make friends with the world. No, the church exists to exalt the holiness of God. Who is like you, O Lord? Who is like you among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory? And the church exists to call people to that holiness, away from their sin, away from their crookedness, away from their indifference to God's commands, away from their allegiance to the evil one, taking up the devil's argument against God. And the church exists to declare to the world the way that God has prepared for men and women and children to enter into his holiness through the true and the living way, which is Jesus Christ. His obedience, his death, his sacrifice, his resurrection, the gift of his spirit, it is all in the Lord. And we are about, we are, we are meant to be busy about these things as a church. Repentance towards God and faith in Jesus Christ. But you see, the false prophet is also very busy. In fact, he's so busy, he's so busy about the church 
that he is genuinely surprised when he finds out that the kingdom of heaven has been closed to him. He's been going house to house. He's been very busy in God's kingdom. He's been casting out demons. He's been prophesying in God's name. He's been doing many, many works. And he gets to heaven and the door is shut and he is genuinely surprised. Oh, what surprise there will be in that day. Lord, Lord, I don't understand. Why is the door closed? Was I not busy about your church? Didn't I spend my whole life in service to your people? But you see, there's one thing the false prophet doesn't do. He does not love God's law. He does not preach God's commands. He doesn't obey God's commands. And so Jesus says this, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You've lived your whole life. You've not cared about obedience to God. It's not been on your horizon. You have disregarded my Father's commands. And the Lord utters this terrible word, depart from me forever, for your life has demonstrated that you do not love my Father's ways. And brothers and sisters, you know, sometimes it is very easy to forget the very simple message of the Bible. God wants us to obey him. God wants us to walk in his ways, to be conformed, to be reformed, to be transformed. To obey is better than sacrifice. Belief without obedience is without value. Faith without works is dead. Using the vocabulary of Lord, saying it again and again, Lord, Lord, it means nothing without obedience. And God's plan for you and his purpose for you is to obey him, to enter into a relationship with his son, to be filled with his spirit so that you may love him more than you love everything else. It is impossible to do on your own. We don't have that strength. But the Lord comes and he fills us and he enables us so that we may know his commands and that we may love to do them. A life spent reading his word. Brothers and sisters, days upon days spent reading his word, listening to his command, saying, Oh, Father, what is it that you want me to do? Letting the whole spectrum of your life being ruled by God's word in every department. Your relationships, your education, in your work, ruled by the word in your internet habits, ruled by the word, marked by obedience to the word of the Lord and the Lord of his word. Because if you hear the words of the Lord and you do not do them, Jesus follows this passage with a very dramatic metaphor. If you hear the words of the Lord and you do not do them, you are a foolish man and you are a foolish woman who builds his house on the sand, and the rain will come, and the floods are coming, and the wind will beat on your house, and the fall of that house, he says, will be great. But thanks be to God, there's a way. There's a way to the holiness of God, and that way is the Lord Jesus Christ. How gracious of God 
that in our utter brokenness and in our utter inability, through his Son, he does everything we couldn't do in terms of obeying the law. And he not only invites us into his righteousness, but Jesus invites us today into his admiration and his love for his Father's law, so that as his Spirit, the very Spirit of God, comes within us and leads us, we find ourselves crying out, Oh, how I love your law! Oh, how good it is to obey you. Oh, I understand now that this is for blessing, that this is for life, that this is to set me free. How gracious you are, Father, to give me your commands as the very Spirit of Jesus Christ works through you and works through me. And so let's pray together in view of these things. Let's pray these words together. Make us, O Father, to love your law. Make us, O Father, to love your law through the spirit of your Son who dwells within us. And Father, today I pray, deliver us from all contempt of your word and commandment so that running in the way of your perfect holiness, we may be perfectly free. Through our Lord Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen.